The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. But now I'm going to ask you if you would to stand uh, as we do out of honor uh, for the word of the Lord. We're reading uh, this morning from Isaiah, looking at chapter 56, verses 6 uh, through 8. This is the word of the Lord. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples." The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask now that you would send your spirit on this Pentecost Sunday when the spirit descended upon the church and gave power to the church to proclaim your good deeds in the world and to see many come to faith. Even our faith rests upon the shoulders of those faithful saints so many years ago. And so now, with the same unction of the Spirit, I pray that you would speak through your word, that we would hear you today and learn what does it mean to be in a deep and intimate prayerful relationship with our Heavenly Father through the work of Christ and the Spirit. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we're beginning uh, our summer series. Historically, we have uh, done uh, at least the first few years that I was here. Uh, we did uh, Summer in the Psalms, and uh, we diverted off of that a couple of years ago, and we're going to remain diverted off of that for uh, this summer. And as I was considering where to go, I was praying and realized in my own life how difficult prayer can be. And in hearing from many of you over the course of time, how prayer is an inconsistent practice at best. I mean, we pray always. Lord, get this person out of my way. Get me to the front of the line. Help me to do this. Thanks for this food. Rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Go God. And we have those kind of prayers. But to have a meaningful, deep, inner, contemplative, communicative relationship with God through prayer, consistently coming into his presence, knowing more of the depth of who he is for many, many Christians and for many, many churches, that part of our lives is small. And so I thought this summer we are going to spend the remainder of the summer looking at prayer together. What is prayer about? Why do we pray? What's the language of prayer? We're saying that so we pray, the language of God's people. Prayer is our language. It is how we communicate with our uh, Heavenly Father. And I was thinking about prayer and prayers that I've uh, listened to over the years and prayers that I've uh, prayed. And there's all kinds of different prayers. These aren't necessarily biblical prayers, but there's some prayers that are very familiar maybe to you. There's the gossip prayer. You know this one. You may be guilty of this one. God, I pray for Rhonda. I know that this isn't public, but I just want to pray for her addiction and for the falling apart of her marriage because I think everybody in here needs to know that she is in trouble. So, God, we just pray for that. The gossip prayer. Some of you are aware of that. 
Then there's the informational prayer. God, we, we pray for Bob. You know Bob Myers, Bob who sits in the back and normally wears a suit, and Bob who's married to Mary, and we have to inform God of who we're praying about, like the all-knowing, powerful God doesn't know who we're praying about. Then there's the stammering prayer, the prayer that goes something like this when we use God or Jesus or Lord as the Christian um. Well, God, we just thank you, God, that, God, you would, God, just bless us, God, for that. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with somebody like that and said, hey, Bill, I just wanted to, Bill, thank you, Bill, that you were coming over in the casserole bill that you gave Bill. Bill, Bill, Bill. Boy, Bill, we're thankful for you, Bill. We, we have the stammering prayer. Or maybe it's the agenda or instructional prayer when someone's starting a meeting that you want to make sure everybody in the meeting knows what the meeting's about and you cover it in prayer. God, we thank you for this meeting that should last 15 minutes. And if everybody does their part, God, will be on time on this. So let us get through these three points today and keep everybody succinct in the middle of this. We thank you for your prayer, God. Amen. And then we know the stream of consciousness prayer. That's just somebody listing out everything. I had a son who loved this one. It was from the squirrel that went by to the sky, to the trees, to the TV, whatever his eyes were on, he prayed about. And that's often how we pray in the same way. Well, what I want to do today is not condemn you if you pray those kind of prayers, maybe to help you that those aren't necessarily biblical prayers. We want to shape all that we understand about prayer uh, through Scripture. Because this passage that we read from Isaiah, which you may think is an odd place to go as we consider prayer, it's a statement from the Lord who said, this is how I understand my people. This is how I understand my relationship with my people, with my church. It's a place of prayer. It's a house of prayer. It's a place where people will come to be able to commune with me through prayer. So this morning is going to be mainly an introduction, but I want to get some some basis points put in. I want to get some, some rocks down at the bottom uh, upon which we'll build over these next few weeks together. So the first point that we'll look at today is this, the, the topic. It's so we pray, the language uh, of God's prayer. What is prayer? What even is prayer? St. Augustine said that what can be more excellent than prayer? What is more profitable to our life? What's sweeter to our souls? What more sublime in the course of our whole life than the practice of prayer? You see, prayer is personal. Prayer is a personal, communicative or communicating response to the knowledge of God that we have. Prayer is our personal communicating response to God based on our knowledge of God. That means that prayer can be profoundly altered by and affected by the accuracy of that knowledge. What you know about God will shape how you approach him in prayer. And if your knowledge of him is minimal, then your prayers will be minimal. If your knowledge of him is inaccurate, then your prayer life uh, won't be accurate. It, it will be affected. If we do not have a deep and intimate knowledge of God through his word, our prayer life will not be accurate or effective. And you may think, how in the world are you saying that the Bible and scripture is going to affect uh, my prayer life? Well, the way that we know God is through his word. 
And so that the way that we can gain a more accurate and, and fuller and robust understanding of God is to be children of his word, people of his word, knowing that and then approaching him uh, in that way. And what we learn in the scriptures uh, about prayer is the language of prayer. In a wonderful book on prayer, Tim Keller wrote this, we know who we are praying to only if we first learn it in the Bible. And we know how we should be praying only by getting our vocabulary from the Bible. That doesn't mean that all you pray is Scripture. There are some people who believe that. I, that's not what I'm saying. But it means that Scripture informs how we pray. Eugene Peterson, the wonderful pastor and theologian, he speaks about the overwhelming previousness of God's speech to our prayers. The overwhelming previousness of God's speech to our prayers. You see, language is first spoken into us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. Think about that. This little man who was born to the Miles family, he doesn't have a vocabulary yet. His vocabulary is crying. It's expressing his language out by simple crying or silence, or whatever. He will learn language as language is first spoken to him. But because we're so young when we learn language, we think that we're the ones who actually learned it, that it initiates with us. And then we take that same thought pattern and apply it to our prayer life and think that the, the beginning, the initiative of the language of prayer is within us. You see, we plunge at birth into a sea of language. And then, as Peterson writes, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer. Mama, Papa, bottle, blanket, yes and no. You see, not one of these words was a first word. All speech is answering speech. We were all spoken to before we spoke. You see, our prayer should arise out of an immersion in the Scriptures. We need to study Listen, think, reflect, ponder the scriptures until there's an answered response in our hearts. You see, the goal of prayer in our lives is a real personal connection with God. And if it is to be a connection with the God of the Bible, then we should know the God of the Bible. Without a proper biblical framework and knowledge, we run the risk of only seeing God as transcendent creator that may be how you understand and know God, that he's transcendent and other. And so your prayer life is one who speaks to him only in that language. Or maybe you're drawn to the parts of Scripture where God is the intimate Father. And so you just approach him in that way, that, that Jesus, when he says that he is our friend, uh, we approach through him in that friendliness way, that he's just imminent and he's tender. And we miss the transcendent. If it's only the transcendent without the imminent, then it's not full. If it's only the imminent without the transcendent, then it's not full. But it's both that we understand. You see, Scripture teaches us that he is both simultaneously. We step into his presence and into conversation with him through prayer with the proper perspective of his person and majesty. Were you overwhelmed this morning when you considered in prayer who you were talking to, into whose presence you were entering, did it overwhelm your souls for just a moment to think that you even had the privilege of stepping into the creator of the universe's audience? 
but then, oh, were you overwhelmed in your heart by the intimate love of God who says, but I want you to come. I called you. I know you. I'm your dad as well. You see, with a small understanding of Scripture, we may also risk engaging either with the head or the heart, but not with both. For some of you, your prayer life is incredibly emotional, and that's good, but it doesn't engage the head. For others, it's all head, and it doesn't engage the heart. Prayer, though, engages both. And we recognize that when we pray, we're praying mainly and generally to the Father. Some of you wonder, I've been asked before, who do I pray? Is it to God the Father? Can I pray to Jesus? Can I pray uh, to the Holy Spirit? Jesus only three times invites us uh, to pray, or only two times invites us to pray to him. So that means it's okay to pray to him. And only three times after Jesus' ascension is prayer addressed directly to him. In every other instance, it's addressed to God the Father. And so we come to God and we pray to the Father through the mediation of the Son, enabling of the Holy Spirit. Now at times we can pray to the others, it's not wrong, but generally we do that. And so that's what prayer is with a couple of nuances. But then I want to consider this passage that we have, the architecture of prayer. The architecture of prayer. You see, Isaiah was writing in a time uh, of a temple, uh, a time that there was an actually a physical place that was to be rebuilt that would have within it a place of prayer. That when God said, my house will be a house of prayer, the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament were designed for prayer. And what that means, by the way, is this. God takes prayer seriously. I've never designed my own home. I've bought homes and maybe got them right near the end of the design process. But when you walk into somebody's home who has designed their own home, if we go, if I walk into your house and you created your house, from the blank piece of paper up, what the architecture of your house tells me is what's important to you. Some of you have a 5,000 square foot bathroom. That means the bathroom is the most important thing to you. Others have a 10,000 square foot kitchen. I'm joking. I've never been. If you do have that, awesome. I'd like to come over and see what that looks like. But no, we, if you have a big kitchen, it means you're passionate about cooking and food. If you have an outdoor uh, living space, it means you love the outdoors and you want to be there. The architecture of your home says something about you. The architecture of God's house said something about him. And in it, he had a place of prayer. Isaiah says, my house and the purpose of my house will be a place of prayer. It will be a house of prayer. And Jesus quotes that when he enters into the temple and cleanses it. And he says, what you are doing is you are inhibiting God's people from being able to pray. And so if you go and you look at the design in Exodus 30, and I imagine you've spent a lot of time there, because when you come to the altar of incense, it just piques your interest. You're just like, this sounds interesting. I want to read about the altar of incense. No, you move on, and you're like, that's Old Testament stuff. Get me to Jesus. Friends, that is Jesus. The architecture and the structure of everything in the temple are pointers, they're shadows, they're foreshadowings of the true temple who was to come, and everything in it had meaning and purpose. The altar of incense first mentioned there in chapter 30 of Exodus was one of the items inside the holy place of the tabernacle and temple. 
the top of the altar was square and it had this it, it was it had four horns it was made of acacia wood uh, and overlaid with gold rings of gold were built in the altar so that it could be carried with the acacia wood uh, poles that slipped through them the altar was placed before the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies that Aaron was instructed to burn incense on the altar each morning and at twilight every day as the regular offering of the Lord. Not the offering of sin. That was done at the altar of purification. But these were taking, and it was taking the blood from that and dripping it on on the day of atonement and basically saying it is now through the completed work of the one who atones for our sins, that the saints, that the prayers of the saints ascend into heaven and are received by God. In Scripture, incense is often associated with prayer. David says, may my prayer be set before you like incense in Psalm 141. In his vision of heaven, John saw the elders around the throne were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And when Zechariah the priest was offering incense in the temple in Luke chapter 1, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So friends, there's an architecture within God's economy for us to be a people of prayer. So what does that architecture mean? It means simply this, and it points to this. It means that Jesus is that mediator. We say that we're a church that believes in the power of the gospel, a church that is gospel-centered, believes that the gospel transforms our lives, and this is also what we believe, that the proper understanding and application of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life will shape your prayer life. It won't just shape your coming to Christ. When we say that the gospel is not just the A, B, and C of the Christian faith, but it is also the X, Y, and Z, this is what we mean. Because all of you, and when we're together and we pray and we go to one another's homes, uh, what is it that you usually uh, end your prayers with? What are the three words that you end your prayers with? In Jesus' name. It's like the Christian pixie dust. In Jesus' name. I pray for this in Jesus' name. We, we've turned it into the magical formula. We've turned it into the little mantra uh, that we tag on uh, to the end of our prayers. But what that really is is an acknowledgement that our access to God the Father is only through Jesus' name. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not a throwaway three words. It is a profound pause at the end to say, Lord, everything that I just said to you, everything that I am presenting to you, the only way that I could even be heard today is because of Jesus' name, because he's the one standing right there. When I had graduated from Presbyterian College back in, in 1990, I was working uh, for a bank in Columbia, and I'd had the privilege over my college years to get to know Henry McMaster, who is currently our governor. And Henry was uh, the U.S. attorney, or had just finished his stint, and as I was talking to Henry when I was graduating and told him I was going uh, to Columbia, he said in that wonderful southern voice, well, Bill, when you come to Columbia, make sure you give me a call. I've got some business that I'd like to give you and throw your way. I thought, this is awesome. That's great, but there's no way. 
So I went to Columbia, and me being who I am, first thing I did was I called Henry McMaster's office, and I got his executive secretary, and I said, hi, this is Bill McCutcheon. I just graduated from Presbyterian College. Uh, I'm a KA, and uh, uh, I'd like to speak to Mr. McMaster. And she paused and kind of put me off, and I was like, well, I was with Mr. McMaster recently, and he told me uh, to call. She goes, oh, oh, well, let me get you right through to him. And then I had lunch with him, and he gave me a couple of names of some businessmen in Columbia, and I called one of them, and I got his executive secretary, and I said, hey, I'm Bill McCutcheon. I don't know anything about banking, and I'll probably lose all your money, uh, but I'd like to meet with, you know, I didn't say that, but I was thinking that, and so was this person probably. And I said, I'm Bill McCutcheon, and I'd like to speak to so-and-so. And again, this wonderful woman put me off. And I was like, well, Mr. McMaster, Henry McMaster, gave me uh, his name and told me to call him. Oh, well, let me put you right through. I did not enter into the presence of that man by my name. I entered by the name of someone else, by my association with someone else. And friends, when we say, in Jesus' name, that means that we enter into the presence of God the Father, the creator of all things, not because of who we are, but because of our association with who Christ is. So one thing I'd love for us is not to take lightly the in Jesus' name part, but that we come fully recognizing that what that means. What that means is that Jesus is the one who was sprinkled upon the altar of incense, that he is the one who is standing, as Hebrews says, that we have a greater high priest who has entered in through the veil and stands constantly now in intercession for us, that we come in and when the heavenly father looks and he says, Bill, why are you in my presence? I don't know you. And it's like, oh no, I'm not coming because of who I am. You see, I'm coming because of who he is. And he actually knows me and he invited me into your presence. And God, looking at his son, would go, is that true? And he'd go, yes, indeed, it's written right here uh, on my hand, Bill McCutcheon, access, direct access to you. God says, come on in, son. Tell me what's on your mind. Friends, do you understand the absolute necessity of the completed work of Jesus Christ on your behalf is even the foundation upon which we pray? My question, I guess, for you this morning is this. Have you considered the gospel today in such a way that it humbles and draws you, that it enlightens and it revives your heart and makes you fall in love with Christ so much more. To go, Lord, even all those silly prayers that I prayed before you heard. Father, even my deepest needs you know. And you know them because of the work of Christ on our behalf. Friends, we're coming to this table today. This table, and the reason that we do it a couple of times a month, and I hope at some point we do it every single week, and the argument always against doing communion every single week is that it will become, uh, too, it'll become too familiar. It'll lose its meaning. Spouses, why don't you try that one out with your spouse? I'm not going to tell you that I love you for a while because I don't want it to become mundane. I might not even speak to you for a while. I don't want you to get too used to hearing my voice. I'll speak to you quarterly. 
Some of you may go, praise God. That would be wonderful. But in a deep and intimate relationship, we speak and we communicate with words. We communicate with pictures. We communicate with story. And friends, this table is the basis of everything. It is Christ saying that because of my completed work on your behalf at a table where I was crushed, where I lost my sonship for a moment with my father, in the mystery of him turning his face away from me, what that granted you was your sonship, was your daughtership, it was your adoption. And because of that, you get to talk to my dad because he's now yours. Oh, would you fall in love with Christ more? Would this table be so significant to you? And would we see in the midst of it that it's this table, it is what we celebrate today, that when we say, in Jesus' name, this is where we go. Let's pray. Father, as we come now uh, to your table, prepare our hearts, we pray. Prepare us that we would say, in Jesus' name, and understand what we mean. That when we approach you, we approach you in the fullness of who you are. That we understand your glory. We understand the transcendent beauty of who you are. That even the created perfect beings who fly around and tend to you can't even look upon you. And yet we're invited into your presence. Father, where sin must be destroyed in your presence, we look at one who was crushed and destroyed so that we could enter in and be considered holy and blameless without spot. What an amazing truth. And so we come to you today, Heavenly Father, through Christ's name and only in his name. Amen.